Hey everybody, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, that 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 music they were playing on the background is very calming. You know, it was like, yeah, I just want to chill. Let's just play this music and hang out. We can b- b- build a campfire and just chill. Like that's how it feels. It's like I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, hey, glad you're here. Um, so speaking of uh, campfires and ch- chilling, um, a bunch of the traditions and things that were passed down um, back in biblical times or pre-biblical times or before, before time itself had been around campfires and people would tell stories. St- Stories around the campfires and passed down tradition, 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 tradition. And um, a bunch of, of pre-Hebrew Hebrews, um, would, they would gather around campfires and they would tell this tradition kind of over and over and over that would begin kind of like, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that they would be around this campfire and then they would say, and here's how he did it. And, and you can almost just picture, like, this group of people around a campfire, and then this super old person saying, um, there was absolutely nothing at all, and that nothingness was called void, but because it was called something, it was something, it wasn't absolutely nothing at all, and God hovered over this void, and the fact that he hovered over it means there was something to hover over, so it was everything but nothing, and then he saw that there was stuff in there that he could build, you know, and and he saw this chaos and void and the emptiness, and he began to separate it out, and so in the book of Genesis chapter one, it, it, it talks about how God created by separating. Um, so there was this void, and God, God spoke to the void, and there's something so beautiful about like, like just God hovering over this void, and then he speaks to it, and he says, let there be light. And there had been the light. It poof, there it was. And you can just picture this guy telling the story. And then he says, and then God separated the light from the dark, and he spoke to it and said, you are good, right? And then it goes, and then he saw the expanse in the sky and the land, and he separated the land from the sky because the two were crushed together, and they canceled each other out, just like the light and the dark canceled each other out. So this God, he hovers over this darkness, this void, this thing that, that was chaos, and then he begins to separate and create order. There is light, there is dark, there is sky, there is land, and then there's, there's just water covering it. And so he separates the sea from the land, and he speaks to it and says, you are good. And then he tells the sea to produce the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And he says, you are good. I mean, it's just this whole, like, created Order. There's this vocabulary that we have of the whole created order because God is a God of order. The whole creation process happened through order. It was there's this chaos, this void, this cancellation, this abyss that God said, yes, right? And then he spoke to that and it began to do things. He separated that and created light and dark, 
order. He created sky from the ground, order. He created the sea from the land, order. God is a God of order. And the Hebrew people, the centerpiece of the Hebrew faith is this truth that God is a God of order. And the whole Torah and all the commands that God has given the Hebrew people is simply built around this whole idea of how do you keep the order? How, how do you keep things organized? How the, the God who created the earth and he organized the earth, how it's supposed to be? Because the fear for the Jewish people is for to, to go back to the abyss, back to the chaos, back to when things combine that should not be combined. It's the anti-God, the anti-order. See, from the beginning, we're just jumping into it, right? Right, right off the bat, I'm not telling a story. Story. We're not having fun. We're talking about like the core of Hebrew theology. It's like their biggest fear is going back to before God created. This is a mess. They are scared of, of being unclean. They're scared of having food they shouldn't eat. They, they're scared of their clothes having fabric that they should not have on. Like, like how do people exist? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so then they're scared of the environment being chaotic and super storms. See? And so, so what God does and what God did was he took the chaos and he separated the chaos to create order. The Hebrew people and, and a lot of the Old Testament is built around how do we be people of order? How do we be people of control? How do we be people who keep things good? How do we be these people who, who, who see the creation that God has made and we keep it like that? And that's a huge part of the heartbeat of, of, of the Old Testament and, and who the Jewish people are. Something about the creation story that I love is you can see it taking place around a campfire. You're able to see someone telling the story. You can't see a scientist talking about it. I mean, like for me, like I get bored in school. I did terrible, but I enjoy campfires. And I can see someone with this huge poetic mind and poetic heart just saying, God hovered and God breathed and he spoke and he called out and he said, you are like, just like, man, this God, you know, God is beautiful, big and good. And this story speaks to the human heart. He doesn't say, God took the atomic particle A, particle A atomic particle B, and this is how it exactly happens. So all the scientists go, oh, brilliant. Yes, I can see that's why it happened. No, it speaks to the human heart because the Bible is for people that are human and think in human. And so, and so um, this, this whole journey of the created order brings us to this place of this desire for order and for God to be in control and for us to feel feel as if people are in control. Which brings us to a question of how often do you actually feel as if things are in control, right? How often do you feel like you are in control or if God's even in control? Because it feels like so often that the anti-creation is at hand or, or it's going back to how it had been. And this is what the Hebrew people would talk about all the time. And so, so, so it often feels like, wait a second, wait a second. The, the earth feels like it's out of control. When you have, you know, governments fighting against each other, we have 
the environment problems. Uh, we have school shootings. We have, you know, crazy crime. Things are out of control. God didn't intend this. And then you just think about our city or our homes or our marriages or kids or you, you know, you think about your own internal soul. How often do you feel in control of the things you think or feel, you know? And so in this topic of the, the intent of God or the intent of creation or being in control, how often do you feel like, yeah, I've got this. I'm in control of me. I know me. How often do you feel at home like, man, my family is killer. We are nailing it. I am the best parent I can imagine. Um, my finances, brilliant. I am success. How often do you turn on the news and think, man, CNN, we are awesome. Like this world is thriving right? Do we do that? Or we pull out the Greeley trip and we're like, man, Greeley, we are just killing it as a city. Praise be to God. No, it's typically the opposite. A bunch of us don't turn on the TV because it's depressing, right? We just don't do it. And a bunch of us have the hard time just sitting by ourselves because we're so uncomfortable in our own skin, because we might actually hear the chaotic thoughts that are inside of our head confronting us, saying, who you are is not who I want to be. So today's theme or topic is simply, what do you do when you feel as if you are not in control? Because, to be honest, you're not. So our psalm for today, because so our summer series, uh, it's on the book of Psalms, which is awesome because the book of Psalms is poetry, right? And, and poetry is like, oh my gosh, like, okay, okay, science, uh, so let's do poetry versus like the academic thought, okay? So academics and science. Science, science is brilliant, okay? I, I appreciate it. I think it's great. I can talk about quantum physics all day long. Let's do it, but not now because we're talking about poetry. Science can tell you and explain to you the color of the sky. Like here is why sky is blue. Here is why the grass is green. Here is why your bones are made of calcium and that blood pumps through your veins. We can pick apart your DNA and tell you why you're built how you are built. Thank you, science, right? And science can teach us about the trees and the plants and, and why they grow and what they're made out of. I don't care. Science can't tell me why I get depressed. Science can't tell me why I feel happy when I do, and it can't describe it for me. Science can't tell me why I have faith and why I don't. Science can't tell me why I get mad about things that I get mad about. Science can't tell me what anger is, right? Science can't tell me about my heart, but poetry can. Right? Poetry is the language of the human experience and speaks to solidarity, right? It's solidarity. When you pick up like a good poem, it's like, yes, I felt this too. 
right? We're in this together. It's like a good song. You know, those good songs that hit every soul that you hear it and you're like, yes, that's me. That's me. And you got like tens of thousands of people all together crying, singing this song because solidarity all over it. That's not science. That's poetry. It's the language of the heart. The book of Psalms speaks the language of the human heart. It speaks the language of experience. It speaks to us as people. Although you can, can approach it from the academic scientific perspective, and that's fun and all, you would bypass the whole point if you just didn't swim in the poetry of it, because this is exactly what it is. The authors of the book of Psalms, when they compose it, like they're offering their soul to God. They're like saying, yo, here's what I'm feeling. All right. This is a personal perspective being offered up to God. The authors are not trying to teach people anything. It is, this is like the journal entries of people being put on paper that you get to see of these people who are having these close encounters with God. So today's Psalm is Psalm 2, and it's lovely. So, so open your Bibles to Psalm 2, and it's going to be up here also, and I want us to kind of just go, you know, just like a couple of verses, a couple of verses, a couple of verses, and we'll, we'll go from there. Sound good? Cool. Here it is. Okay, as a congregation. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. All right, let's pause there. Um, so this is the beginning of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 does not have anything to do with the previous psalm at all, and it doesn't have anything to do with the psalm following it. It just stands by its own. So in the past, so I would say context, context, context. So tell me context. There's no context. This is poetry. All right? So, so let's just see it from that perspective. So... Um, so the author of Psalm 2 begins by asking a question, and he's talking to God. He says, why do the nations conspire against God and his anointed? When he's talking about his anointed, he's kind of arrogant. He's talking about himself, okay? So the, the author is talking to God, and he's like, hey, God, why does everyone conspire against you and against me, right? And he's talking about, um, during this time and in this context, he's talking about the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, um, the Persians, who, who the author of this text is on the throne of Jerusalem, and he has, like, everything. And so everyone is staring at him saying, we want that, right? And furthermore, they see the things that, that the Hebrew people are doing and bind themselves to as being bad things for the people. And so they see the Hebrew people being in bondage um, to following God. And so all these kings and all 
these people are staring at the throne saying, we want that. And furthermore, we could set those people free from their God. Isn't that interesting? That's the, 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 the part about breaking off their shackles. These kings are saying, we're conspiring against God to break the shackles of the people, setting them free from their God, because from the outside, it looked like bondage. So I want to hit the pause button just for a second and, and talk about who the, the author of this this chapter is, who the, the author of Psalm chapter 2 is. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 is one of the very few um, ch- chapters that are actually t- talked about further in the Bible, in the book, of, uh, I said Acts, Psalm, um, is Psalm chapter 2, but it's talked about in the book of Acts chapter 24. Here it is. Everyone, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Their kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So it's that the intro to Psalm 2 is talked again in the 21st, 4th chapter of the book of Acts. And it says that the author of this chapter is who? King David. All right, so th- this is cool. And I just want to tell you why. Like, especially on this idea of poetry and approaching Hebraic poetry, it, you have to ask, who are the, the ancient Hebrew poets? Okay, so Acts chapter 2 says, King David is an ancient Hebrew poet. What does this tell you about Hebrew poetry? It tells you a lot about the heartbeat. So, so poetry today in our culture, it's seen as something that's like kind of like a hobby or that's cute or, you know, like if you do poetry, you don't really tell people. <laughs> I could do poetry. I'm not telling you, right? It's kind of something, you know, like, eh, you know, and, but who is the author of Psalm chapter two? King David. Who is King David? Right? It's easy to say, oh, King David, he was a shepherd, he played the harp, he writes poetry. Right? That's who we see poets as. Dudes, he grew up, he killed like 10,000 people. He's balling, right? He cut the head off of a giant and held it up to taunt his enemies. Like, who cuts heads off of giants? And taunts his enemies by holding it up and saying, I just killed your big guy. He was like the man's manly, manly man. (laughs) And he writes poetry, right? He goes home and he writes poetry. Like, like, he did it in blood, you know? Like, that's how it feels. Like, King David, you know? Like, he's not the guy who plays the harp. He's the guy You're the guy who everyone's like, he is just hardcore. And he goes in his room and he cries out to God. And he's like, God, why do the nations conspire against you and me? Right? There's this thing that they have, God in him. Why do they conspire against you and I? Because God's the God of order, right? Like, like we got this. And for David, he's found in this chaotic space, 
Like, I'm trying the best I can, and why is everyone conspiring against me? How would you feel? Like, how do you feel? Because poetry is all about feeling, right? How would you feel if everyone was trying to kill you and hated you? That would be depressing, right? And so, so put yourself in his spot. And a bunch of us, there aren't a lot of us who have people that are trying to kill us. There could be some of us here, honestly. But um, what if people hated you or just don't enjoy being around you? How would you feel? What if you felt like people, you know, just don't enjoy your presence. This is what's happening. King David's like, God, why are people conspiring against us? Why do people hate me? Why do people want to kill me? Why are things not happening as they should? And here's how God responds. I love it. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. <laughs> the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his angers and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. All right, so, so here's, here, here's King David. He's awesome, right? And, and he's calling out to God, why is everyone conspiring against me? God, everyone hates me, right? And God laughs. He's like, ah, oh, come on, you know? And then he scoffs. At the enemies of David. He makes fun of them. That's not science, right? Let's just, that's not science. The, he laughs. There is comical, hap, there's comedy happening. Like, are you kidding me, David? We've been through this so many times. I love that God doesn't get tired of telling us the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? But he laughs. He's like, David, come on. And then he makes fun of those that David is talking about. And because of that, it terrifies, it terrifies the enemies of David. And then he builds this thing up. Like he, he starts to kind of speak into it a bit more. And he says, do they not know that I have installed my king on Zion? And, and, and God is kind of talking about David to David. Do you not know the place you are is where I put you? And everyone can see that. And if they don't, they're idiots. Like, I'm just kind of interpreting this a bit for you. So, so you got David, why does everyone hate me? Everything is out of control. God, help me. God laughs. And God scoffs at these people. And then he starts to affirm King David, I put you here. And here's the thing that happens after this. Here's what he says to King David. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth are your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them with pieces like, pieces like pottery. What if God told you that? 
what if in your journal entries and you're crying out and you got to remember how this began, right? It's this place that we all have been or we all are or we're all going to be. It's this everything seems like a mess, God. Everything seems chaotic, God. I don't have control of anything, God. And God laughs as if to say, I've got it. Don't you see that? And don't you see where you are is in like the palm of my hand. And then he looks down and he speaks. And so in this psalm, he's like, you are my son. What do you want from me? Just ask for it. Do you want all the other kingdoms? They're yours. <laughs> like you can crush them. You can crush them into tiny little shards of pottery if you want. Go and do it. Today is your birthday. Go for it. You are my son. I mean, like, whatever. That's not science. That's poetry. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying that because God speaks to us in the poetic. God speaks the language of our hearts too. Right? And, and so he's speaking to the author of this, who is in the midst of chaos. Everyone is trying to kill, kill him. His kingdom is falling apart. He doesn't know what to do. And God laughs back. I've got this. I put you here. Here's who you are. You are this. You are this. And first and foremost, you are my son. Beautiful. How does David respond to this? Check this out. Therefore, you kings, right? (laughs) That's how how he responds. Like, therefore, you kings, like, he started out talking about these guys, like, he's scared of them. Now he's like, right, okay. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. (laughs) Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead you to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are are all who take refuge in him. Okay, like... Do you see what happened here? Okay, first of all, he's, he's like, he's calling out to God. God, help me. Everyone doesn't like me. These powerful kingdoms, you know, they're all rising up. And why do, do they come against us? God cracks up. I've got this. I've put you here. Here's who you are. You are my son. And the author's like, I am his son. You kings, you guys are in trouble. Because you're coming up against me and God, right? So I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to warn you, right? Be warned. If you do not celebrate the rule of God in fear and trembling and in celebration all at the same time, you will be destroyed. So, and here's my favorite line. He says, kiss his son. Kiss his son. Who's the son in this? He is. So he's going, so kiss me. Like, seriously, kiss me. 
This is the guy who at the beginning of the psalm is like, oh God, where are you? Why is everyone hating me? What? Everything's a mess. This, ah. And God laughs. Like, and he's like, eh, you know, I put you here, right? I put you, you know, and, and then throughout this calling up, you are my son. Do you want the other countries to be in the palm of your hand? You can shatter them if you want. I'm your son. Yes. This perspective of the ownership and the sonship of God changed David's whole perspective to being from this, everything's a mess, everything's in chaos. What is happening? God, are you even there? What is going on? And God's like, you're my son. Get up. To a point of, you kings. You kings, do you think you can come against God? You're idiots. Do you think you need to come here groveling and kiss me? Because if you don't kiss me, God will be angry and his anger flares up in just a moment. I mean, how brilliant and fun and playful and deadly is that? I love it. And then he says, just follow the Lord. He blesses those who follow him. And that's the end of chapter two. Like, do you see how fun psalms are? Like, it's just sick. What does that tell us? What does that show us? What solidarity do you experience in this psalm? What companionship do you, if this were a song, could you sing it and feel it? I could. It would be something like, man, things feel like a mess. Man, the earth is falling apart. God, what is happening? Kids are shooting each other. The environment is burning people up, and there's super storms. And God, why is the economy the way it is? And God, why is my family the way it is? Why am I me and confused? And God, it feels like, wow. And then God sings back, I've got you in the palm of my hand. You are my daughter. You are my son. Lift up your head. See me. Do you, what do you want? You can have anything you ask for. I can. Everybody, God is here. God is here. Do you not see that God is here bringing hope and freedom? So in your midst of your chaos, put your eyes on God, because if you don't, this chaos is real. But when you look upon the Lord, you will be blessed. So kiss me, because we're all brilliant. You know, that's what this is. And in fact, a poetic translation of the same psalm is up here. So let's uh, proclaim this together. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get free of God, cast loose from the Messiah. Heaven throne, God breaks out laughing. At first, he's amused at their presumptions. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? 
A coronation banquet is spread for him in the Holy Summit. Let me tell you what God says next. He said, you're my son and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present, continents as a prize. You can command all of them to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So rebel kings, use your heads, upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God in an enduring embrace. Celebrate in trembling awe. Kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger. You know, his anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. Yes, please. How do we come full circle? I want to invite you to sit in front of a campfire with your own heart and allow God to hover over the chaos. So please close your eyes and picture the parts of you that that seem out of control, that seem like a mess. The parts of you that could be described as void or as chaos or as darkness. The parts of you that every time you grasp for them, they slip between your fingers. And I want you to picture the Spirit of God soaring over it. And I want you to picture this and pay attention to what God is doing. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. What is happening? What is God separating in you? What is God calling out? And then God separated the sky from, from the soil and it created sky and land. The sky is a place where things fly and the land is a thing where things grow. For some of us, it's been a long time since you have felt like flying. And for some of us, it's been a long time since we've seen anything grow. But in this separation, God says, you are good. What do you desire for God to grow within you? What parts of you long to soar? Because don't you know that you are a daughter and you are a son of God. What do you want? You can ask for it. And then he separated the sea from the land. 
creating places to run and play and build homes and creating places to go fish for food and enjoy the coolness. When is the last time you enjoyed your life? When's the last time you built something you were proud of? When's the last time that you had space? What do you want? Ask for it. And in this space, God says, to your heart, to this thing that had been hurting or void or broken or chaotic, you are good. How many of you are you longing just to hear God as he holds your heart say, you are good. I delight in you. I will fight for you. I will chase you. I will breathe within you. I will wrap you in poetry and speak your language. Because isn't it the most poetic thing that someone would die for those he loves? That's not science. So in this vein, our author, our creator, our God, our king, our general, our fighter, he came and he died for us, wrapping us in grace, surrounding us and lifting us up and giving us title of son and daughter. And the symbol of this has been, been the bread and the cup. And the bread is symbolic of the broken body of Christ, his son. And the cup is symbolic of the spilt blood of Jesus, his son. And together, these are the images of the God who came man, who died for the redemption of us. And so as these songs begin to play, you are invited to celebrate this death, to come in fear and trembling of this death, and to proclaim this death, as King David said. Because when you follow the Lord, you are blessed. So this table has been prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. That also is something that David wrote. <laughs>